you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Prairie Justice presents the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Well, howdy, folks. It's Ranger Gord. Welcome back to Prairie Justice, the Greg Sounders Vigilante podcast. And we are in part two of our mini-series covering Leading Comics number three from summer of 1942, and it's the Tyrants of Time. And now we're going to meet our first tyrant. Well, actually, we already met the tyrants. But we are going to have our tussle as our... Uh, one of our soldier teams meets the first of our tyrants. And that's none other than the great Napoleon Bonaparte. And what Napoleon needs to go after is some gold that uh, the Dr. Doomy, as we're calling him, though sometimes we slip and say the other word, but uh, we don't want trouble with the Latvian people, right? Okay. So gold, of course, uh, is going to be our most common element, at least the one that we know of that we're going to be looking at. Chemical symbol with the symbol AU from the Latin aurum, atomic number 79. One of the highest atomic numbers that occur naturally. And we, it's known for its uh, brightness, its softness, malleability, ductility, transcristian metal, group 11 element. And it's, of course, we also know that it is also a very sought-after precious metal and has been in throughout history. Used, of course, for coinies, jewelry, other arts. Uh, you might have some in your teeth. You might be wearing some on your finger if you wear a ring. I do not. And, of course, it was uh, sought after throughout the 19th century and... Uh, was an opener, for better or for worse, for many of the frontier parts of the world, including the United States, Canada, South Africa, and Australia. And, of course, the gold standard was implemented as a monetary policy. It backed all of our money up until 1971. So, virtually, if there was a dollar out there, uh, there had to be an equal amount of value of gold um, backing that up and that was uh, like I said taken out after 1971 so what's backing up our money right now who the hell knows um, and it may surprise you that as of uh, this point in time the world's largest gold producer is China of all places so uh, let's hold some tag days for China now as for our tyrant, let's talk a little bit about Napoleon Bonaparte. And by the way, for this information, I freely tell you that I am using the dreaded Wikipedia 
because I just want to give you a brief introduction to these people. Of course, Napoleon, Genghis Khan, Attila, and all the rest that we're going to meet have volumes and volumes and volumes of books written on them. And of course, Napoleon is probably the most, or one of the most covered historical figures that, uh, that we've ever known. He is born Napoleon de Bonaparte on August 15, 1769, and he would die May 5th of 1821. A military leader of France and political leader, of course, who rose to prominence during the French Revolution when he was only 20 years old and led several successful campaigns during those revolutionary wars of those times. He rose to become the de facto leader of the French Republic as its first consul from 1799 to 1804 and uh, took power as Napoleon I, Emperor of the French from 1804 until 1814, uh, briefly deposed and went back on the throne again in 1815. He dominated European and global affairs for a decade while leading France against series of coalitions in what were called the Napoleonic Wars. What else are you going to call them? He won most of these wars and battles, built a large empire ruling over continental Europe before its own collapse in 1815. He is considered one of the greatest military commanders in history, and his wars and campaigns have been studied in military schools worldwide. His political and cultural le legacy has endured, and he's one of the most celebrated, and of course also one of the most controversial leaders in world history. He was born in the island of Corsica after its annexation by France, supported the revolution in 1789 while serving in the army, tried to spread his ideals to his native Corsica. Uh, he rose rapidly in the army after saving the, the governing French directory by firing on royalist insurgents. In 1796, he began a military campaign against Austria and its Italian allies, scoring decisive victories and becoming a national hero in the process. Two years later, he led a military expedition to Egypt, of all places, and served as a springboard to political power. Uh, his coup in November of 1799 led to his uh, installation as first consul of the Republic. Differences with the British uh, led to the War of the Third Coalition by 1805, which he shattered by victories in the Ulm Campaign, the Battle of Austerlitz. Uh, he uh, oversaw the dissolution of the Holy Roman Empire. In 1806, the Fourth Coalition took up arms against him because Prussia became worried about his growing influence on the continent. Well, he solved that by knocking out Prussia at the battles of Jena and Aristet. Uh, may have gotten those a little mangled. Marched the Grand Armée into Eastern Europe, annihilating the Russians in 1807 at Friedland, forcing the defeated nations of the Fourth Coalition to accept the Treaties of Telsit. Two years later, the Austrians challenged the French again in the War of the Fifth Coalition, but Napoleon solidified his grip over Europe at the Battle of Wagram. Well, that wasn't enough for old Napoleon, so he was going to expand his system. Uh, it embargoed against Britain, invaded the Iberian Peninsula, that's Spain, folks, and declared his brother Joseph King of Spain in 1808. It's good to have a brother that's the king. 
The Spanish and the Portuguese revolted in the Peninsular War, culminating in defeat for Napoleon's men, and, but he himself launched an invasion of Russia in the summer of 1812. And it's interesting that uh, in the summer of 1942, when this comic is out, of course, um, his uh, tyrannical heir, Adolf Hitler, is uh, conducting that same campaign on some of the same ground. But back to Napoleon, uh, it didn't go as well for him, and it didn't go well for Hitler either. And his, uh, his Grand Armée had to retreat. Prussia and Austria and the Russians joined forces in a sixth coalition against France, and the chaotic military campaign large, led to a large defeat of Napoleon at the Battle of Leipzig in October 1813. The coalition invaded France, captured Paris, forced his abdication in April of 1814, and he was exiled to the island of Elba in the Mediterranean near his native Corsica. In France, the Bourbons were restored to power. Uh, however, Napoleon got out of Elba and retook it, the, his, uh, his empire in France. Uh, a seventh coalition was formed, which defeated Napoleon once again at the Battle of Waterloo in June 1815, as Abba tells us. And the British exiled him to St. Helena in the Atlantic, where he died in 1821 at the age of 51. And, of course, there's all sorts of conspiracy theories that he may have been assassinated. Uh his impact in the modern world brought liberal reforms to many of the countries he conquered, especially to uh, Switzerland and parts of modern Italy and Germany. Implemented liberal policies in France and Western Europe, but left an example that would be followed by one Mr. Adolf Schickelgruber at this point in time. So as of part one of our mini-series, Napoleon was plucked out of time and sent on this mission where he was going to be going to upstate New York along the border with Canada, which is, I would say, Quebec. Uh, that's a little bugaboo of mine. Everybody likes to just say Canada. You know what? We have 10 provinces across your border. Uh, let's, let's learn to be specific. I know all your 50 states. You can learn all of our 10 provinces and three territories. So we're going to meet uh, the Star-Spangled Kid in Stripesy up there in, in upstate. And, of course, this is going to be drawn by Hal Sherman, who was the uh, cre creative uh, originator, along with Jerry Siegel of Star-Spangled Kid and Stripesy. And once again, uh, this is going to become a broken record. Uh, we don't know who wrote this. We don't know who wrote the whole story. Uh, likely a little bit of uh, column A, A's through 5. I think everybody's contributing a little bit of uh, work on this, uh, as directed by their editor, Wynne Mortimer. As I said, Jerry Siegel, also the original uh, Superman creator, uh, did contribute to episode one of the leading comics, uh, or issue one, uh, sorry, of the leading comics run, um, but we have no evidence of that here.
So now let's enjoy the Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy as they tackle Napoleon de Bonaparte the first in his defeat before Waterloo. The Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy by Hal Sherman. First among Dr. Doom's terrifying tyrants of time, the great Napoleon leads an underworld army on a plunder march planned to swerve the course of the future. But the legendary might of the little corporal holds no terror for those valiant partners in peril. Sylvester Pemberton and Pat Dugan, alias the star-spangled kid and stripesy, as they rocket into the hearts of the wilderness to match brains and brawn against guns and cunning strategy. Chapter 1 Defeat Before Waterloo Sylvester Pemberton departs from his father's pretentious mansion on a hasty expedition. And all at once I remember, Dad, that no botanist ever listed all the mosses of the North Woods. Mosses? Bah! When I was your age, I hunted grizzlies. I'll take good care of them, sir. Later at the edge of the city, Dugan and young Pemberton, stripped to their superheroic identities as the star-spangled kid and stripesy. If your pa knew we were hunting Napoleon, he'd feel different, eh, kid? <sighs> I don't know, Stripesy. Fathers are funny sometimes. A finger touches a hidden button, and as if by magic, the limousine's frame alters, taking on the rakish streamlines of the star rocket racer. Hop in, kid. We're going to hit the high spots. I'm right there with you. An autogyro propeller unfolds from the rear deck, and... The place we want is almost due north of here. Aye, aye, Skipper. Due north it is. Swifter than any plane, the rocket-propelled craft streaks towards its rendezvous with adventure. There's the railroad. Only a few more miles to the station where the gold is waiting. I wonder if Napoleon and his army have gotten there yet. You know, kid, we got a lot of nerve going after the greatest general in history. When he sets out to steal gold, he's just another crook to me. And we've tackled clever crooks before this. Now let us turn the clock backward an hour and watch a big transport plane drone over the same course. Aboard the ship Napoleon, peevishly disciplines his army. Remember, Nappy, times has changed since you was a big shot. Silence, fool! How dare you address Napoleon thus? Disrespectful cuz! If only I were riding my white charger at the head of my Imperial Guards! Crabby little squid, ain't he? Don't they say he's got brains? A lonely rail junction where a spur line from the Quebec gold mines meets the main line. Hey, that plane's going to land, Dick, eh? 
I'd let it. If they'd shipped this gold by plane, we wouldn't be hanging around waiting for trains, eh? A nearby clearing serves as a landing field. First, we will cut the communications. Take blasting powder and blow up the tracks half a mile north, so that the train they are expecting will be wrecked. I hear you talking, boss. Don't call me boss. Call me one of you cut all telegraph and telephone wires. Then report back here. Okay, boss. I mean, I mean, sir. Two drowsy knights of the road taking their ease in a hobo jungle are disturbed by a rumbling blast. Oh, look, Zipper. An explosion on the track. It ain't none of our business, Dusty. Forget it. A moment later. The wires are down and the track's blown up, sir. Trevian, very good. Turk and Spivy. Attack this station from the rear. Duke, attack from the other side of the track. Meanwhile... Hey, what's wrong, Station Master? I tried to send up word about that explosions, but the wires are down. The men in the plane must have done it, eh? Suddenly, a harsh command rings out. Let down your arms and surrender! In the name of Bonaparte! Oh, I must be seeing things, eh? Under cover of blazing guns, the strategy of the military genius is carried out. They ducked, eh? They aren't shooting back. If they hadn't wrecked the track and cut the wires, I'd say it was a joke, eh? And the victory is one of the easiest of all the Napoleonic campaigns. Reach for the sky, saps. The joke's on you. Oh, they tricked us, eh? Tie them up, then carry the gold to the plane. Four men it's besides Napoleon. And all in on. the camp of the vagrants. I guess I'll have my hands full. That was shooting. Maybe we ought to see what's going on. Take it easy. Guys like us either get shot or pinched when they butt in on shooting. Engrossed in their own cleverness, the raiders do not notice a rapidly growing speck in the sky. You stick with us, boss, <laughs> and I mean, sir, we'll, we'll make millions. Do you all think Napoleon Bonaparte is a common thief? This is but a step towards my greatest victory. They've got the god stripesy. Glide low over them. Anything you say, kid. Just be sure you're right. Swinging perilously on a slender strand of steelite cable, the all-American battler tenses his muscles. Four men besides Napoleon. And all armed. I guess I'll have my hands full. A human cannonball strikes without warning. You ought to have a rear guard, chum. This is mutiny. Jeepers, it's the star-spangled kid. Well, if it isn't the terrible Turk, one of my admirers. Everybody picks on me. I'll get him. Trouble with you is you've got gold on the brain. I should have insisted on a horse. At least I might have kept my dignity. So, you're the great Napoleon. I'm disappointed. What's this? I thought I'd taken care of everybody. You need somebody to take care of you, you meddler. No living man but you has ever knocked Napoleon down. 
And you shall not live for long. Looks as if you got me. But as the star rocket racer hovers on silent blades behind the station, something tells me the kid could use a little help. Little man, what now? Stripesy, you're a pal. Stand back, gents. Give the kid some room. Oh! Stick him up before I mow you down. Signal 44X, Stripesy. 44X it is. Add a kid, write him down. Wasting good bullets, I see. In the excitement, Stripesy has forgotten the other gangsters. And as the kid turns from his vanquished opponent. You've been playing too hard, sonny boy. Take a rest. Bullets are too good for them. Weigh them with stones and drown them in the river. Boss, uh, I mean, sir, uh, you're a guy after my own heart. Moments later, the depths of the sluggish stream swallow the gallant pair. This is goodbye forever. And I ain't sorry. The shock of numbing cold revives Stripesy. What? Gee wet was we're drowning. Certain curtains sure for the kid and me unless Straining as they have never strained before, the big fellow's powerful muscles, aided by the water's lift, forces them upright. His lungs aching for oxygen, he stumbles forward against the water pressure, aided by the slow current. Can't last for more than a few seconds. Dreadful minutes pass, and in the hobo jungle, the down-at-heeled Dusty decides to stretch his legs. I'm going to take a little walk. Huh? Hey, Zipper, somebody's caught in the rapids. we got to save him. Well, I'm coming. Whereabouts are they? And not a moment too soon, the rescue is accomplished. Whoever done that to you young fellas was a snake. Snake is right, friend. And you and your buddy can help us catch him. I swallowed enough water to last me a lifetime. Hey, kid, me and Dusty ain't looking for no trouble. You see, we're has-beens. Nobody will give us work or trust us. Because we're down on our luck. If we get mixed up in anything, we should have land in jail. Not even hardships, hunger, and rags have entirely quenched the spirit of the vagabonds. But a foreign dictator is bossing those crooks, and a dictator, that's different, eh, Dusty? I'll say it is. Lead us to him, and we'll fight, jail or no jail. Hurry, kid, they're taking off, and they've got the gold. Something tells me Dr. Doomy is due for a disappointment. An ear-splitting roar of rockets, and the star rocket racer skims across the wing of the departing transport. They smashed a propeller. We're gonna crash. That'll make him pull over to the curb. Lucky they had a soft place to land. They'll find prison a harder place. Look out for trouble. The fight has been shaken out of the gangsters, however. We give up. Jail will be like a vacation after this. 
You mean we don't do no fighting? No, shucks. Where's Napoleon? He jumped up and ran into the woods. He'll be lost. There isn't a town within miles. We've got to find him. New hope and new chance come to men who had long since given up their dreams of regaining the world's respect. You won't have to be hobos anymore. Just give this card to John Pemberton in New York. He'll fix you up with good jobs. A reward? Any jobs? Don't pinch me, Dusty. I don't want to wake up. But to Napoleon, veteran campaigner though he is, comes a better experience in the trackless wilderness of the American North. I've been working for hours, and I am lost. I'll die in these terrible woods. If I only had a horse. Night brings nameless terrors to a leader who is helpless without an army at his back. What's that? Why did I ever get out here without a horse? Why did I ever listen to that upstart dummy? Morning and a tattered creature, crazed by hunger, thirst, and exhaustion, spies what appears to be an answer to his feverish dreams. It was at last. Now I can raise a new army and, and return to smash the star-spangled kid in stripes, eh? So it is that people of a tiny resort village are treated to as strange a sight as they have ever seen. Napoleon on a merry-go-round. He's crazy as a bat. Who will fight with Napoleon to win the empire of the future? All right, better telephone the asylum. And as the star-spangled kid and Stripesy reached the village in the course of their search... Look, it's him. And if those aren't insane asylum guards with him, you can knock me for a loop. Yeah, we know you, Napoleon. We've got four others just like you, so you won't be lonesome. This is insufferable. I shall return to my soldiers, who know how to respect me. The unhappy conqueror gropes for the device which Dr. Doomy promised, which would return him to the point in the past at which the Time Ray found him. And abruptly... He's gone, vanished into thin air. But how, how could he? Imagine a guy escaping into the last century. He hasn't escaped. His punishment, well, he'll be defeated at Leipzig and Waterloo and die a prisoner. That's history. In his distant tower, Dr. Doomy recreates scenes of the past with his amazing time machine. And as he observes Pickett's charge at the Great Battle of Gettysburg, suddenly a familiar figure flashes across the screen. What? Napoleon going back to the past? That means he has failed. It's incredible. But the failure of one man needn't ruin my plans. I'll send one of the others to seize the gold. I need, perhaps, Alexander the Great, after he has brought me the radium from Florida. A Star-Spangled Kid adventure every month in Star-Spangled Comics. This is an imaginary podcast. 
which may never have happened. The short box showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Identity crisis. Lone wolf and cub. Hergé's Tintin. White tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. I didn't know this was going to be the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. (laughs) It's always the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. And the great feats of editing, not yet performed. Ultraman, this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultraman... Of how they spoke at length. When I read a comic, story comes first and art comes second. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. Those are our people, Emily. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Superman has basically the same relationship with Wonder Woman that he has with Batman. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing would encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. Well, thank you, Professor Middleton, and we're back with our my thoughts, notes, and uh, comments on our Star Spangled Kid story. I'll try to make these brief. I'm not going to make these any kind of sort of uh, scathing or critical analyses. Uh, these are 80-year-old stories and plus, folks, and uh, they are what they are. They are they're artifacts of their time, and that's how I like to enjoy them. Uh, complete with warts and all. Uh, Hal Sherman's art is uh, pretty much what it is. Um, I think he actually kind of sorts of excels in these leading comics as against the uh, the kids' uh, regular strip in Star Spangled comics. I think he kind of brings it out a little bit. We begin, as we always do, with... Uh, the kid and Pat Dugan having to come up with some bullshit story to tell uh, Papa Pemberton uh, what they're up to. And, of course, they escape in the Star Rocket Racer. And not to a, a lot of personality conflict. We don't have the usual banter between uh, Pemberton and, and young Dugan here. Um, we get up and finally find out that... Uh, an airplane is up amongst the Quebec border uh, with New York State. Now, in these, uh, it should be noted, in these uh, stories, we're going to see a combination of things happening. Uh, the tyrants that Dr. Doomy has plucked out are sometimes going to be teamed with some uh, hand-picked gangsters that Doomy has assigned to him. And sometimes Doomy has gone back and... Uh, pulled some of the uh, the dictators' own men to come with him. Uh, Napoleon in this one um, is basically stuck with three gangsters. And they're the usual stock that you will get here. And I have to say Sherman really did his research in uh, depicting Napoleon. He's there in his finery. He's got his, uh, 
his white jawed spurs and his uh, knee-high black riding boots and all the fuff and foofery and pomp that you could expect from the Napoleon. And uh, whoever's writing the dialogue is really good because he's got the attitude. And uh, it, in most of these things, the tyrants don't say much about the technology they're see they're, they've seen. They just accept that they're in a new time, and, um, and there they are. So Napoleon doesn't say much about traveling up here in a twin-engine airplane. Uh, now, Napoleon and his men are going to attack a railway depot where the gold shipment happens to be sitting, awaiting for loading aboard a train. But before that, we meet a camp of what we would call hobos. Now, this is a very interesting thing that I don't think a lot of people know about, um, or at least know where it belongs from. Um, they think of hobos or tramps or the words bums, and those are, aren't, those are actually distinctions. Hobos generally is migrant workers, people going from town to town, but uh, not really paying the fare and utilizing um, railway cars that are, might be empty, often stock cars or box cars, uh, to ride in and then uh, making camp along the way, doing bits of work that they can uh, for people, usually for cash under the table, and then moving along. Uh, the word itself apparently kind of tends to mean farmhand, and, of course, uh, in the early days of uh, very intensive agriculture, um, harvests needed a lot of uh, people who could uh, just pitch in, use their hands, and uh, help out with the various uh, labor-intensive jobs that are associated with grain harvests or even uh, fruit harvests or that sort of a thing. And so people w like these hobos would travel from different areas and go into the different areas, um, such as they might come to uh, the Western Plains to help out with the grain harvest, and that was done. They might go out into, say, eastern Washington, British Columbia, or California, and pick fruit. And basically, they sort of live on their own means. And, of course, they you know, have... Uh, the, uh, they're traveling very light with their belongings on their back and uh, they don't bathe a lot or shave that sort of a thing so they tend to get uh, kind of sort of lumped in with other people who may not work and so I think when you uh, call people hobos or you call somebody that's uh, maybe down on their luck a bum or sort of thing just sort of think about that um, I think these days and age of, uh, you know, high costs on everything, I think we're all just one paycheck away from jumping in a real car, any of us, ourselves. I think that's why they lock them now. So these Knights of the Road, as they're sometimes called, um, are found in a camp and they hear of an explosion. And, of course, that is uh, Napoleon's raid on this railroad station. And this occurs just as the Star Rocket Racer comes in. And uh, it's the usual sort of thing. Um, Sylvester comes in here in his uh, star-spangled outfit uh, on that inf invention of Steelite. That's his uh, 
own rope that seems to be able to do just about anything and which sometimes they get bound up in themselves. And of course, uh, during the campaign, um, Sylvester gets surprised and of course is tied up in his own steelite. He and Pat are thrown into a river. While they're struggling with this, I often wonder if Napoleon ever thought about the fact that the French Empire, at least before he uh, came along, when he was about 10 years old, lost the territory that he is actually in. Um, in the, of course, in the Seven Years' War, uh, between 1756 and 1763, Britain and England fought in much of this territory uh, for control, and that was eventually won by the British at the Battle of the Plains of Abraham in Quebec in 1763. And that led to further developments, of course, with the French Revolution, or sorry, the American Revolution, and of course the uh, the split up between support for that revolution led to not just your one country but two countries uh, those that remained loyal to britain became canada and those that did not became the united states so hence we have this border and i just thought it was also interesting because uh, we have a bit of a french empire legacy in western canada as well I was actually born in a little sliver of Canada along the Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Montana border called the Milk River Ridge. And uh, in the little town of Milk River where my mom and dad lived for a little bit while before, years before I was born, they actually have a mural on the side of the highway uh, bragging that there were eight flags that sat over that uh, little bit of sliver of land before it finally became part of the uh, Dominion of Canada. And the French Empire had it twice, uh, once actually under Napoleon, the Spanish had it, the Americans had it for a little bit, and then the Hudson's Bay Company under the British come along, and eventually the Canadians. And of course, we always recognize that the uh, indigenous Blackfoot of this area as well is part of a flag. So that's a little bit of my history with Napoleon. And of course, Napoleon uh, dealt that... Uh, bit of land away as part of the Louisiana Purchase to Thomas Jefferson in 1803 and it was sort of acclaimed by a right of discovery by the expedition of Lewis and Clark in 1805 to 1807. You think I'd know that at the top of my head. At any rate, uh, that's just a little bit of something you didn't need to know to enjoy this story. But, uh, Napoleon, I can see Louisiana from my house. So while I've been explaining the colonial history of my hometown, um, Sylvester and uh, Pat have broken out of the steelite and gotten to the top of the river, and they are pulled out of the river by our friends, the hobos. Dusty and um, just gonna zipper. That would make a good uh, cartoon strip, Dusty Zipper. Well, Napoleon manages to get away. He uh, gets through the woods. And uh, what does he end up, uh, as he's very uh, crazed by hunger and uh, darkness and such, he comes out at what appears to be 
a amusement park and what's the first thing he sees because he's been whining through this whole exercise that he doesn't have his horses and he doesn't have his imperial guard and what does he see as a merry-go-round well in his delirium he jumps on a horse and kicks all these kids off of the merry-go-round and that brings out uh, the men with the butterfly nets and of course there's always that great uh, stereotype of how mental patients sometimes will have a complex of a Napoleon complex believe they're Napoleon so they're kind of playing off of that story but Napoleon has his little uh, handy dandy time travel device that he can pop a button and put himself back to where he was plucked from uh, thanks to the technology of Dr. Doomy now of course Doomy is watching all of this because our master villains always have the technology and the ability to watch their uh, their pawns on television here in these leading comic seven soldiers adventures and Doomy is watching basically on a film projector originally he's actually amusing himself by watching the Battle of Gettysburg and then sees Napoleon flying past uh, the battle on his way back to his own time and Doc Doomy just has to hope that uh, his other tyrants like such as Alexander the Great will be able to carry on the the quest for ore that he needs in order to claim the future so as I said uh, I just want to make these little uh, notes and thanks once again to Professor Middleton for assuming the role of the not-so-Latvian Dr. Doomy. Or is he? We'll just never know. Tune in in uh, three days' time, and we'll be able to see and hear Green Arrow in his chapter as he takes on Alexander the Great. Bye, everybody. Tum, <laughs> <laughs>